We're, we're going to go into part two of our sermon series called Oh Church Arise. We started this a couple of Sabbaths ago. And uh, what we're doing is we're actually walking through stories in the book of Acts. Stories in the book of Acts where God actually instructs people, or at times well, as, well, as the series progresses, we're going to find that people are telling others to arise, okay? And so that's what we're talking about, oh, church, arise. We're exploring stories in Acts when God's calling people to action, when God is calling people to do something, be something, or be somewhere for his glory, and so today, uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to find actually two, uh, two separate arise commands all in one story. Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. I'm just going to jump right in. Acts chapter 9 is where we are. Um, last time we were looking at this, we were looking at Acts chapter 8, where Philip the evangelist was told to arise and go meet a man, uh, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch, on the road. And... Um, <clears throat> There he arose and really went on mission for God. He fulfilled God's mission. So here we are, Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're introduced to a character. I guess this isn't the first time. This guy's name is Saul. The Bible says, I'm reading from the New King James. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Okay, now Saul at this point in, in his history, is not a very friendly guy, okay? He's not the kind of guy you want to be around. In fact, the last time you see Saul in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And you see Saul, it says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death. Do you remember whose death Saul was consenting to? Stephen, yeah, Stephen, the very first martyr. He's kind of... He's, he's really witnessing for God through his word, but also through giving his life in Acts chapter 7. Saul apparently was a young man at whom those who stoned, those who stoned Stephen, they actually laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul was kind of giving silent consent to Stephen's death. So he's an enemy of Christianity. Okay? He's an enemy of what Acts calls the way. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the description, going back to chapter 9, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Uh, the, the Greek word here is actually the word for inhale. It's the word for breathing in. It's as if the thing Saul breathes, the thing he lives and breathes, is murderous threats against the people of God. So, so far, what you're finding is that Saul is a meanie, okay? <laughs> he, he's a big bully, so to speak, okay? In, in verse 2, notice his meanness isn't, isn't relegated to the boundaries of Jerusalem. It says in verse 2, And he asked letters from him, the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel was finally exceeding the bounds of Jerusalem. It was because of persecution that people finally kicked out. So kind of like a dandelion being kicked, it was actually being spread. Right? The gospel is being spread. And here, Saul feels duty-bound that as far as the gospel goes, he shall go too to oppose it. All right. So this picture of Saul so far, he's moving. He's doing and he's breathing in total opposition 
to the way of Christ. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in those shoes where you know you're actually moving against the grain of exactly what God wants for your life. But this is what Saul is doing, and he needed to be knocked off his high horse, so to speak. And this happened very literally. You keep going in verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you doing what? Why are you persecuting me? Who's the one that's speaking to Saul here? Yeah, it's, it's specifically, it's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. My Bible is a red letter Bible. And this, this, these are in red letters right here. This is the very next question that Paul asks in verse five. And he said, who are you, Lord? Who am I persecuting? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But let's just look at these verses, verses four and five. Jesus is speaking now directly through, uh, through this light that, that really throws Saul down to the ground, right? And he uses his first few words. It's Saul, Saul. He calls Saul's name A. He calls us by name even when we're running in opposition to God's will. But then for this, in this instance, Jesus actually addresses Saul twice over. Do you notice that? Saul, Saul. When you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, are there times, are there other times in the gospels where Jesus actually addresses someone twice over? Yeah. Can you think of some? Martha, Martha. You remember that? Yeah. Luke chapter 10. Martha is busy about getting things ready. She's getting so upset with her sister Mary for not helping her attend to this honored guest and his, his large group, <laughs> okay? And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Man, service should never feel like you're doing this on your own. Service should always be in company with Christ himself, Somehow she was getting distracted from that fellowship with Jesus. And so Jesus has to stop her inner checks. Martha, Martha. Whenever Jesus uses this double address, she's t- or he is talking to someone who needs to revert their course. He's into someone who may think that they're doing the very will of God, but in reality are going against the will of God. Martha, Martha. She's trying to serve him, but she's actually working in opposition to his will. What's another time? Simon, Simon. Again, someone who thinks he's doing what he ought to be doing and yet needs his course to be reverted. Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And then another time, actually, it's not to a specific individual. But as he, as Jesus is overlooking the temple, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. (laughs) Oh, how I have longed to take you under wing, just like a mother hen. Again, people who were thinking they were doing the very will of God and yet moving in direct opposition to God's plan. Here, Jesus does the very same thing for Saul. Someone who is moving and uh, thinks he's doing the very will of God and yet needs to be addressed twice over. Why? Because their attention needs to be arrested. Their course needs to be reverted. And the revelation that that Jesus gives to Saul 
in response to this question, who are you, Lord? Verse five, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Man, Saul was just, he, 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 was, he was now having this uh, light bulb epiphany experience, right? Uh, there's a dawning upon his conscience that he is not trying to stamp out an error. He's not trying to, to destroy an idea. He is actually persecuting the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, this must have been earth-shattering for Saul to think he was moving in such passion and fervor for the name of God. <clears throat> and yet he realizes he's actually persecuting the Son of God. Verse 5, he, the, Jesus continues, It is hard for you to kick against the goads. At least that's how it says it in the New King James. The word there for goads uh, is, is actually a, it's a term for, for uh tools, I guess you could say, or instruments, iron sticks that were used to direct beasts of burden like horses and oxen and, and others. And so pr- most likely sharp. Um, so what Jesus is saying is, hey, this is hard. You're, you're being like this beast of burden that I'm trying to direct and yet you're resisting. You're kicking against that. And so Jesus is really implying to Saul that he's been trying. He's been trying to redirect Saul and he hasn't been responding. He's been trying. This isn't the first time Jesus has, has tried to step into Saul's reality. Now, I think the first time maybe was many years before, or even uh, just a chapter before through the, the witness of Stephen. And so, hey, it's hard for you to do this. Your resistance is not only useless, it's actually hurting you. It's perilous. It's ruinous. Now, Saul, Saul is ready to listen. Don't worry, the arise command is coming. We'll we'll get there. We just need to paint this picture for who Saul is, where this arise command comes from. Verse 6, still there with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. The Bible says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? (laughs) Oh, man, Saul is now ready to listen. He's willing to ask real questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? I think that here Saul is seeing, yeah, he sees the light of Jesus' presence, but I think there's something else that kind of dawns on him. He's seen the light of Jesus' grace. Jesus could have very well vengefully smitten Saul, right? Vengefully thumbed him to the ground. But what he does is he mercifully spares him, and it's in the state of humility that he's willing to listen And the command comes, then the Lord, this is verse six, the rest of it. Then the Lord said to him, arise and go. This is exactly the the same three words that came to Philip in Acts chapter eight, arise and go. This time it's arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The command to arise. Just picture Saul. I don't know what what kind of... uh, you know, (laughs) how he was groveling on the ground. I'm not quite sure how many other people were around. But let me just ask you, in your mental image of what Saul is going through right now, how easy is this command for Saul to obey? How easy is it for him to go into a city? (laughs) How easy is it for him in this state right now? Probably not very, right? Probably not very. Well, a couple of different reasons. Why? Because he's blind. Okay. (laughs) He can't see. 
It's hard to go anywhere without seeing, right? But I would say this, that he is also realizing the blindness of his own heart. And that has been devastating for him. When you think about it, his whole worldview, what he thought to be true, it was just turned upside down. He's not only visually disoriented, but in heart, you know, and everything that he was so certain about was now completely uncertain. I tell you what, there are a lot of people who feel the very same way. I mean, 2020 has done a number on a lot of us, right? Where the things that we were so certain about, things that were so routine, things that were so normal are now not, right? Everything seems so uncertain. The blindness that Saul experiences is something that I think in various seasons of our own life, we go through the same. You know, we, we have a, a blindness that needs to be arisen from. And that's what God is calling for Saul to arise and go. I mean, this question, again, the question of verse 6, when, when Saul is trembling, when he's astonished, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever asked that question? Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, this could be, you know, maybe the question is, is you know, you're standing, uh, standing in line waiting to order your food. Lord, Lord, what should I order? You know, I don't know. Maybe you don't ask those kind of questions. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's bigger life decisions, like landscape altering, direction of your life changing kind of decisions. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Um, man, I think the applications can be found in, in a lot of different ways. And those are seasons where we don't necessarily feel great about ourselves because we don't know what to do. That's why we're asking the question in the first place, right? We kind of feel blind, a lot of unknowns. I'm not quite sure how to resolve this. I'm not quite sure how to get through this. I'm not quite sure if we can get through this. But I I would submit to you that in our seasons of uncertainty and confusion, we can go to God and ask, what do you want me to do? And I think Saul got the right question. I think sometimes I tend to ask the wrong question. What should I do? Here's the thing. Uh, Maybe it's a good question. It's just not the best question. (laughs) What should I do? Places the onus more on myself. Like I'm going to do this, right? But here, the the answers are only going to come from God. Lord, what do you want me to do? And he will answer. He will. He will. And let me tell you something about his answer. At least for Saul... The answer was not complete. Did you notice that? Sometimes when we're looking for direction, sometimes when we're looking for guidance, God may choose not to dispel all the darkness. God may choose not to dispel all the questions, all the uncertainties, but he can choose to give us clarity about the next step. Singular. (laughs) What was the next step for Saul? Go to the next city or go into the city. And you will be told what else, right? You will be told what you must do. The the rest of the story will unfold. And so here, this first command to arise in Acts chapter 9, the appeal to arise and go is really a command to arise and trust me. (laughs) Arise and trust me. You may not see everything, but you can trust the one that does. Arise 
and trust me. Saul may have arisen. Sure, he, he did arise as a response to this, right? Saul may have arisen blind physically. He may have arisen, you know, even still blind in heart, not knowing Jesus' full plans. But you know what he did arise knowing? He did arise knowing who was Lord. Do you notice that in the question? Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> that was the one thing he did know. The eyes of his heart were opened in some form or fashion, enough to see that Jesus was alive and that he was the one that he could trust. He didn't know every step, but he knew the very next step. He knew that he could trust the one who knew the rest of the story. And I wonder today, could God be giving the same instruction to you and I in your season of blindness, in my season of blindness? I don't know. I don't know what kinds of decisions you're having to make. Sometimes the things that we're blind about, they don't have a lot of urgency to it. And so we just kind of put it on the back burner and we wait for things to unfold. Maybe you've got some things that you're blind about that really need some sort of time. They have some sort of time sensitivity to it. And you're thinking, God, you've got to step in. You've got to reveal. But you know what? I wonder if today... He's just simply saying, arise and trust me. Arise and trust me with this step. And the rest of the steps will be shown when you need to know. Rise up from your anxiety. Rise up from your uncertainty. Rise up from your unknowns. Arise and trust me to keep leading you. Trust me with this step and trust me to keep revealing the next steps beyond that. And I tell you what, it's a natural tendency of mine. I don't know. Maybe you can resonate with me. I I tend to want to see the end from the beginning. <laughs> Anybody else? Or is that just me? I want to see the full plan, right? Uh, I would rather be in the Red Sea situation where I can see, oh, there is a dry path all the way to the other side. I would much rather that than the Jordan River type of experience where you only see things parting as you keep moving forward. And that's the natural tendency that we have, or that I have, I should say, but maybe God is calling us to arise and trust him. Again, the personal application of this, it can go from everyday decisions, big picture plans. And maybe even we can apply this to navigating the end time scenarios that we know Revelation points out will unfold, right? We may not necessarily know how we're going to get through each and every phase of Revelation 13 or Revelation 16, you know, but God says, arise and trust me and I will show you the rest of the way as we go. Now, just as I was talking with some, some friends of mine earlier this week, God was reminding me of certain promises that, that were giving me assurance because there, there are, again, uh, many of us can probably resonate on different levels. Like, I don't know exactly know what I should do about this. Will God actually carry me through that? But let me just share a couple of promises with you. If you're in the habit of taking notes, go ahead and write these down. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And also Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, let me give you another one. John chapter 13, verse 1. Okay, <laughs> If you're in the habit of this, John chapter 13, verse 1, it's this the upper room where Jesus uh, is, you know, he's, he's really on his last stretch with the disciples. And as John is narrating chapter 13, he says that Jesus knew where he was going and where he came from. He knew what was going on and he loved the disciples to the end. I just love that phrase. He loved the disciples to the end. In other words, Jesus isn't going to hang up 
You know, he's, he's not going to hang you out to dry, leave you wondering what's next. No, he's going to love us to the end. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, uh, he's able also to save to the uttermost, the Bible says. He's able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. I want you to know something. As long as Jesus is alive, he is able to save you to the uttermost. He is able to carry you all the way to the finish line. Actually, that other verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, let's look that one up. You can keep a, keep a finger here in Acts chapter 9, but I just want to give you a chance to highlight this and uh, circle it in your Bible if that's a habit of yours. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. When you're there, say, I found it. Uh-oh. Okay, Philippians, <laughs> uh, let's see here, New Testament, so you're in Acts, you go to the right, you'll pass Romans, Corinthians, and then after the Corinthians, you've got your General Electric Power Company, or Go Eat Popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, yeah, when you're there, say, I found it, yeah, okay, chapter 1, verse 6, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and really, it's God's word to you and I. Being confident. Yeah, man. In our blindness, we often don't feel that confidence, right? He says we can be confident of this very thing. Well, what thing? That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. There are situations that you may feel utterly anxious about. You are not quite sure if God even has your back. But today, God says, be confident of this. If I started it, I'm going to finish it. And it's a good work in you. It's a good work. Man, he's the one who loves us to the end. He lives to save us to the uttermost. And he promises to complete the good work he started. All right, back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 the story continues. The men uh, that journeyed with him, they're, they're not quite sure what in the world is going on, but they, they, they help Saul rise up. Let's go. Acts chapter 9, verse 8. Acts chapter 9, verse 8. The Bible says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I mean, this is the guy who is leading the charge, and now he's being led by the hand. Blind, completely helpless, cannot see a thing. When Saul arose, sure, he was led. He was completely humbled. He spent the next three days fasting, but you know what? He was closer to the Lord than he ever had been. Actually, in, uh, in verse 11, we'll get to that. He's not only fasting, but he's also fasting and praying during this time. By the way, when you're in a season of uncertainty, this is not a bad habit to pick up. <laughs> not a bad discipline. Fast and pray. There's something about that fasting, letting go of something, saying no to something so that you can say to yes, sorry, so you can say yes to God's things. He's fasting. He's praying three days. He's seeking to be emptied of self, seeking to be filled with a new vision of God's purpose and plan for his life. In the grand scheme of things, yes, but also in his personal life. And then in verse 10, in verse 10, we actually find a wrinkle in the story, okay? 
there's another character that's introduced because this is the, the second story of Arise. Here it is, Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. The Bible says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. Now, I don't know. I don't know what kind of, if you have a James Earl Jones sounding voice of God in your head, but Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now check this out. It was only one address, right? He didn't need to say Ananias, Ananias. Why? Because Ananias was someone who was already following in the way. Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And that's, that's the response of a ready and willing servant, right? Here I am, Lord. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, arise and go. There it is. There's a second arise. Arise and go. Go where? Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Whoa! Wouldn't you love it if God gave you a play-by-play? -play? <laughs> right? Here's an experience of someone who is actually given the entire game plan. Go to this street, to that house, look for this person. And I imagine Ananias, as he's listening, you know, here I am, Lord. He's ready and willing. Okay, okay, okay. And then he hears the name, Saul of Tarsus. Wow, hold the phone. <laughs> and that's why I think God includes that last part. For he is praying. He's not who you thought he was. He's praying. He's praying. Now, prayer in the book of Acts, that's something else we could have a whole sermon series on. Prayer in the book of Acts is a lifeline. It's, it's an indication of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life, actually making themselves available to the working of the Holy Spirit even more. Anyway, so he is praying. This is, this is mind-blowing for Ananias. Verse 12, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Again, the play-by-play -play continues. This is the, whew. Now, I, I want to stop right here and go back to a little bit. Uh, hold on. Jesus is telling Ananias that Saul, the guy who was the persecutor, is actually now praying and he has seen a vision, Okay. But God has revealed something in vision to Saul. I, I just, God is doing so much to save Saul. Do you realize that? I mean, he, he had Saul in position to hear the witness of Stephen back in chapter 7 and then in, in the first part of chapter 8. Then he put Saul in position to actually be knocked off his horse to see the light of Jesus' presence. He gives him specifics, or maybe not specifics, arise and go into the city. Jesus is doing so much to save Saul. He reveals the light of his presence. He pulls out the stops, or all the stops, for one who had been so far off the deep end. God is so good. If you wonder what's so amazing about grace, is that grace never stops. It will keep reaching. It will keep pursuing. Jesus is, is the one who seeks and saves the lost. Amen. I'll say it for myself. Amen. If you think your heart is too hard, if you think your past is too rebellious, think again. If you've ever thought, I'm too lost, he's too lost, she's too lost, think again. Jesus came 
to seek and save that which was lost. God's grace is so amazing. And there it is. Jesus, he says, in a vision he has seen a man. I've, I've just been revealing so many things to him. You've got to go. You've got to go. And Ananias is about to get a front row seat to this amazing grace in action. Okay. Ananias, yeah, his instructions from the Lord are a lot more specific than Saul's were. But just like Saul, Ananias had to move forward with some level of uncertainty, right? He had to move forward with some level of, oh, I have no idea what you have in mind, God, but I will go anyway. Verses 13 and 14, let's keep reading. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias feels like he needs to, you know, let God in on some information. (laughs) God knows all of this. And God has been trying to, Jesus has been trying to share with Ananias what he knows, what what he, Ananias, does not see. Uncertainty was not so much that Ananias was filled with blindness, but really that he was filled with fear. God, he is someone that we should be running from. Don't call me to go to him. He had heard of Saul, why he was in the area. And so both Ananias and Saul, they're both given this really parallel command, arise and go, right? Arise and go. Both were given this command when filled with a great deal of anxiety, albeit for different reasons. You know, the command to arise for Saul, it meant arise and trust me, right? Arise and trust that I have plans and purposes for you that are different than the plans and purposes you may have for yourself. For Ananias, the command to arise was, uh, it was also an appeal to trust. It was arise and trust that I can change a hardened heart. That, that, that God's grace is not just grace to forgive the rebel, but also grace to transform the rebel. This is something that, that Jesus needs to assure Ananias of. The story continues in verse 15 and 16, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow. I mean, this is incredible. God has plans and purposes for the former persecutor, you know? That God has, has a redemptive story for the one who is so resistant. Arise and trust me. Arise in faith. Arise free from fear. And I wonder today, whose shoes do you resonate with more? Uh, you know, do you resonate with Saul's situation where he's arising in blindness, not quite sure what God has in mind for him? What, not quite sure if God really you know, has a, a plan and purpose that he can fulfill? Or do you resonate with with Ananias feeling like you should arise and go bridge this relationship, arise and go minister to this person, but not quite sure that God really knows what he's up to about that. And either way, either way, the command is the same. Arise and trust me. Arise and trust me. You know, we're not told how much time lapses between verse 16 and verse 17. (laughs) 
I mean, you look at that story and you, you kind of wonder what happened in the white space between verse 16 and verse 17. You know, after Jesus gives the instructions, and then in verse 17, it says, and Ananias went his way. How quickly was that? You know, was that pretty immediate? Was that at the drop of the hat? Were there other conversations that Ananias had with the Lord before? Okay, let's go. You know, what, what was that like? We're not told. But we know that Ananias obeys the call to arise. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there is a sense where you're feeling like you need to arise and go to this person. You need to arise and make this decision. You need to arise and do this and do that. Whatever it is, arise and trust me. We may not know how much time lapses, but I hope the end of the story finishes out just like Ananias's. Verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Laying his hands on him. I mean, this is, this is, this is what Ananias was told. The vision was that, that Saul saw someone named Ananias coming and putting his hands on him. And again, Ananias is faithful to the very end. Do you realize how difficult this was for Ananias? Man, laying his, he arises and he extends hands of healing to the one who intended to harm. He arises and extends hands of fellowship to the one who is the former enemy of their faith. He lays his hands on him. And do you know what the first words are out of Ananias' mouth? Look at it, look at it, look at it. Brother Saul. Brother, come on. This follower of Christ rose up from his fear, from his anxiety, even from his prejudices against Saul. He rose up from that, walked by faith in the promise and power of God. He said, this is my brother. Brother Saul, bam. <laughs> if there's a picture of the church arising, it's really, it rests upon Ananias. I know Saul was kind of the central figure here. And yeah, we, we can apply that in a personal level. I, I believe that there are Sauls all around us right now who are trying, they're kind of dizzied by the stars that are running around their head. What in the world? How should I go? And I believe God is calling his church to arise, extend hands of healing, Extend hands of fellowship. Brother, sister, God has plans for you. And as Ananias was a follower of Christ, you know he was given the specifics, right? He was given the full game plan. Friends, we as a church have been given specifics. Do you know, you hear what I'm saying? We've been given the full game plan. We're talking about this in our Sabbath school discussion. We've been given what's known as present truth. We've been given a last day message known as the three angels. We, we have a message to share. You know what it does when we arise and go? It brings healing and it brings hope. Saul, in his blindness, now as a result, let's keep, let's keep reading here. Brother Saul, verse 17, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Wow, the fellowship is real. 
Arise and go. Trust the Lord. Arise and trust me that I have plans to fulfill for this person. I have plans to fulfill through you for that person. Church, do you want to arise? (laughs) Do you want to arise and trust? What happens? What happens when we arise like this? Well, I would say like Saul, if we arise like Saul, if we arise from our blindness and our uncertainties about what's next, I believe we'll find that God gives new purpose, that he gives new vision, that he gives new direction, not just to our lives, but also in others' lives. And even if we don't see the end from the beginning, he'll give vision and direction as we arise and walk forward by faith with knowing what we should be faithful right here and right here and right there. Even if we don't feel fit to to be of any use for God, just look at Jesus' track record of of the kind of people he called to follow him, right? The kind of people he called to go for him. Jesus called Saul the persecutor. He called Simon the the, the loudmouth fisherman, okay? He, he called the woman at the well who had a very checkered past. Now, when Jesus calls, he gives new vision. He gives new direction and purpose better than we could ever imagine for ourselves. And if you've ever felt like you've disqualified yourself from meaningful service for God, I tell you what, God's grace is bigger than our failures. His spirit can transform what we have habitually trashed. He can do it. He can do it. So like Saul, we can arise and trust him. We can arise that he'll, he'll go ahead. He will fulfill a plan and purpose that is bigger than what we could possibly imagine. What else happens when we arise? I think when we arise like Ananias, when we arise like Ananias, we'll find that seemingly insurmountable obstacles and barriers can be overcome. Those that we thought were too far gone, those that we thought were too hard to reach, those that we thought just had already stopped their ears against us and even resisted. They, their hearts can be transformed. We can see others, not just for their past record, but we can see others for their future potential, for their future potential. I love that. We can find brothers in Christ in some of the unlikeliest of places. We can extend acceptance and grace toward those we have formerly feared, resisted, or even run from. Friends, do you want to arise and go? Do you want to arise and trust him? I want to say a prayer today, and um, I I want to allow for some time of silence, and and maybe there is a particular situation or relationship in which you feel like you need to arise and go. I want to give you permission to, just in the silence of your own heart, just to pray over that particular situation or relationship today. All right, so let's, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we're coming to you just, just awestruck by your grace. And Lord, even before praying for things or situations or for people, Lord, we just want to pray for ourselves that we would, we would not let another minute pass without receiving this amazing grace. God, you can change the, even the most hardened heart And so please change ours. And Lord, now I just want to allow for some time where we can individually pray and bring before you those situations in which we have no idea what to do. And those situations that we completely feel blind about or even fearful about. God, please give us us just 
a, a moment of time with you where we can really surrender these things to you. So go ahead, take that time right now. And Father, for some of us, you know, as we're praying about these things, I mean, this, this might feel like the entire week's conversation with you has been about this very thing. <laughs> Um, but Lord, as we're praying about it, we're just, we're also praying for the faith to trust you. We're praying for the faith to arise. If there are situations that, that you're actually bringing to our consciousness or relationships that you're bringing to mind, God, we, we pray that you would give us all that we need to know just to be faithful to you. Father, I thank you that you are the one who wants individuals to arise and so as individuals we want to say yes we want to arise and trust you and i also just want to pray a prayer for this church family this congregation i pray that you would cause this church to arise to trust you with whatever lies ahead not quite sure knowing you know what what are the next steps beyond but we know what's right in front of us and so please make us faithful to do just that Make us faithful to find those that you are already working in. God, lead us to those that are already praying, already seeking, already hearing from you. Thank you, Father, that you know exactly what we need. We surrender this to you in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, amen and amen.